Hi, welcome to Off the Charts Podcast. I'm Andy Smith, your host. I'm here with Emily Weber, our producer. Hello. Today we are heading to a prison, uh, the Philadelphia prison system, actually. Uh, We're talking to Dr. Bruce Herdman. He is Chief of Medical Operations for the entire Philadelphia Department of Prisons, which means he oversees the medical care for, what did he say, Mm 6,000 inmates, something like that? Um, Something like that. I think it used to be eight, but it's a little less now. just interesting about you know the the medical needs of prisoners, how it differs, how that system works, um, and he's made a lot of changes that have you know been positive changes. Um, mm-hmm. He comes from a background of working with a health system, so uh, a lot of the approach that he's taking is very based in how do we improve the whole system. Um, so he's not the one in the room treating patients; he's more overseeing the, the whole system. Exactly, he's actually not even an MD. Um, but what's also interesting is not just what he's done in the prison, but the idea that once these people get out, you know, there's certain things they have to be, you know, they have to have insurance. They have to leave healthy. They still need medical they care. They still need medical care. Yeah, um, no matter where they And are. he had a lot to say about, you know, the, the, the mental issues, mm-hmm. the mental illness that is so prevalent in prisons. So hopefully you enjoy it. Um, <laughs> the audio is not the best. We're going to warn you now. Yes. Um, I, so we, we have these great mics, got them all set up, sat down and talked with, uh, with, with our guest and then realized uh, down the road that I had used or that I had failed to switch over um, on the laptop to the mics. So I'm actually recording or we record this one with the laptop microphone, which is not great, but hang in there. Um, it's still worth it. And uh, we are aware that this. And we know what we did wrong, so it won't happen again. Yes. <laughs> Shame on us. <laughs> so hopefully enjoy uh, Dr. Bruce Herdman. But I was reading a couple articles that had you included in them. So there were some interesting statistics. Uh, 38,000 jail admissions annually in Philadelphia. About an average daily population of around 9,000. That's an old article. Is an old article, okay. That's just this decline uh, substantially. So today we have about 6,600. Oh, wow, okay. And this year we'll have about 25,000 admissions. But if you add 25,000 to to uh, 6,600, we think it was 32,000 individuals. It's actually un- unduplicated. It's about 29, 29.5 individual citizens that are here. Okay. Regardless of the statistics, there was just uh, these articles are interesting to talk about the challenging medical conditions these people come in, uh, drugs, mental illness, um, STDs, uh, all kinds of issues. And yet at the end of this one article, you say, this is the most rewarding job I've ever had. How did you come to this job? Um, I retired from Blue Cross. Oh, really? After after having, I was a hospital administrator. I ran the Institute of Pennsylvania Hospital Psychiatric Hospital for huh. a year, and then went to the evil empire, uh, managed care, <laughs> and uh, retired. And someone, uh, a colleague, called and said, "Could you go to the prison and sort out some financial issues?" Because they were experiencing 12, 15 percent cost increases year to year, when the actual cost on average was about five and a half. You talk a lot of money. So, yeah. And I thought, oh, I'm going to just go out there for a couple of months. And I've been here 10 years. <laughs> uh, it's a very needy population. The, the illness burden, quote unquote, is three times what you would expect for a 33 year old on average population. So we were able to improve quality substantially. And uh, now we're redefining uh, the way we deliver care so that it's not just a concern about what's inside the walls, but how do we assure continuity when people are released? 
because otherwise you're you know tuning somebody up and then they go out and they've been challenged for example by not having health insurance in, in mm -hmm. Pennsylvania for a reason so all of those things are, are very rewarding it's also a very talented medical staff that's devoted because this is a difficult population to deal with basically tell me what do you do on a daily basis so you're chief of medical operations yes of the philadelphia department of prisons right. what is that person what do you do so um i'm trying to think of examples today <laughs> of these well yeah no tell me what you did today yeah um well we spent we gave a tour to a whole bunch of people from the department of public health these are students that are potential employees so we show them uh, lots of statistics about what we do and then walk them through one of the facilities, this one for an hour and a half, to show them uh, the, so they could see the people that we're caring for and, and uh, talk to some of them. And then uh, we were just on a conference call, which is a national conference call that happens every week um, to help develop our electronic medical records. So that's a technical, set of devices that we're trying to uh, use to improve the quality of care. Um, and a meeting with the commissioner to go over um, the cost figures that we have here and uh, to explain to city council because we have to explain our $65 million healthcare budget uh, every year, city council understandably. Uh, so those are the kinds of things. That, and then, oh, I'm sorry, dealt with two patient problems. Um, one uh, uh, lady who had called in and I spoke to last week sent me some um, records from uh, her son's clinical care in the community. She's afraid because of cancer history in the family that uh, what we think is a benign uh, uh, tumor is actually a cancerous tumor. So I, I sent the extra data that she gave to our clinicians that, that he's actually at the house correction down the street and they'll review that case and see if he needs to be seen. He was seen by a, a a clinical specialist at Temple um, about three months ago who didn't think that it was a cancerous tumor, but maybe we'll have that revisited. Hmm. So. so what surprised me in one of the articles, and you mentioned your staff, I mean, there's hundreds of people on, on the medicals. And I don't think many people think of a prison system as having a medical staff. I mean, tell me, who are these people and how what do they do all day? Well, the, the inmate population is the only population in the United States guaranteed health care by, by the Constitution. Hmm. And you can think about it. If you take away people's right to access to medical care, you, it's called cruel and inhuman yeah. if you don't provide that care. So inmates are eligible for the same care that you and I can get if we have a commercial insurance plan, only faster, and no co-pays. Hmm. Uh, so we have 350 full-time healthcare staff here and about 350 part-time because we provide care 24-7 in all of our six facilities. I was commenting to Emily on the way here. You know, I, I worked at one of the academic medical centers. If you add up all the hospital beds in Philadelphia, you probably have as many people as the entire... Oh, yeah. This, yeah. I mean, your population equals every hospital in Philadelphia. Correct. Right. But it's 24-7. They're here all the time. They're here all the time. And uh, they, you know, that's it's what you would expect. It's uh, it's in, infectious disease specialists and OBGYN and a lot of primary care physicians and nurse practitioners, psychiatrists, psychiatric nurse practitioners, providing all the services that you can get in the community. If if we can't provide the service here, so for example, if we need a GI specialist consultation, we we transport the patient to somebody in the community. Uh, that requires you know the patient a van, two officers with guns. Shackles and handcuffs. It's not. I've seen them. But yeah, you've seen it. It's I've seen it pleasant. at a couple hospitals. Yeah, yeah it's so. not not the most respectful process. 
Um, but we have 90% of our 5,000 off-campus visits are with university faculty. So we do people excellent care. Hmm. Now, how do you, uh, do you ever face criticism or do you get people who say, well, they're prisoners, why? Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> sure. I'm sure you deal with that all the time. Like there's probably a decent part of the population goes, don't give them anything. I don't even understand why they have a right to, yeah. you know, this health care. But the Supreme Court interpretation of the Constitution says we're mandated by federal law to provide these services, as are jails and prisons all across the country. And because this is a very economically and educationally deprived population, 80% of our patients come from what's called a federally designated uh, medically underserved area in mm -hmm. Philadelphia. The reason why they're medically underserved is nobody has insurance because they're very poor. And the average reading level here is third grade. The average age is 33. So it's you know these are these these people don't get healthcare except for in emergency rooms outside. So they come in they're in bad shape. So for example, we're the largest provider of psychiatric services actually in the state of Pennsylvania. I saw that. I don't know if you were quoted or somebody said it's actually the largest psychiatric hospital if you look at it that way. Yeah, in Pennsylvania, state hospitals have all been closed for the most part. There are two state hospitals. We have we have a licensed psychiatric hospital on campus with 64 beds, and that's. That's half of what the state system has for the entire state. Wow. Uh, so all, library and all those similar situations have closed and the, the public services are not adequate to keep very seriously ill people sound and they end up being, you know, they're talking to God on the corner. It's a nuisance. They get arrested. They come here. Hmm. So 40% of the patients here, 40% of the people that are here are medicated for psychiatric problems. In the women's jail, one of the six jails, it's 60%. Uh, so are, is, is prison and our jails sort of the new, you know, everyone kind of clap themselves on the back when we shut down all those, oh, yeah, you terrible. know, because everyone thought, well, that was cruel and we don't do that anymore. We don't have these asylums. We don't send people away. This is an hasn't, asylum. I was going to say, hasn't yeah. the prison system just basically replaced? That's correct, except for people who are really locked up more here than they were <laughs> when they were in a psychiatric hospital. Yeah. So it, it's very troublesome. Uh, what we provide primarily is self-injury prevention because suicide's a big risk in jails and prisons and psychopharmacology because people leave here fairly quickly because they're in jail, even though it's called a prison. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, the average length of stay is 90 days as compared to, say, the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections where they have people that have life sentences mm -hmm. at, at, at the extreme. So um, we provide psychopharmacology. We don't do individual therapy. We do some groups for anger management, but it's not a full range of psychiatric services. It's a full range of physical healthcare services. So you, we have talked a lot about the the mental. I mean, who is the typical? What is the what are the big problems you see when people come in? Uh, well, 14, 15% this month are either schizophrenic, bipolar, have major chronic depression, or a borderline personality. Hmm. We don't count behavior disorders. You know, the angry person. The understandably angry person. I was going to say, if you counted way, that, it would be a huge 90, percentage. Ninety percent. Ninety percent. I mean, you get people that have grown up there. You know, if you're a 33 year old male with a third grade education, what are you going to be angry about your life prospects? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So that doesn't count. So it's mostly schizophrenia, bipolar disease, and uh, borderline personality. On the physical health care side, about 28 percent have um, hypertension, diabetes, seizure disorders, a big problem because of drug addiction and uh, STD, so sexually transmitted diseases. We're the largest provider of treatment for sexually transmitted diseases in the state. We're going to treat 1,000 people this year for HIV out of our wow. 
you know, out of our 30,000 individuals. And we provide excellent, uh, you know, top, top of the line care for these people. And we have actually very good uh, success in getting them care when they leave. Uh, but it's uh, $7 million of our $11 million pharmacy budget is for HIV. Now, somebody had told me to talk to you about, um, do you have a, I don't know the official name, do you have a breast milk program? The lactation program yeah. was started just this year. Yeah, tell me about um, that. Anyone that comes in that's been delivered within the last month or anyone who delivers while they're here uh, can participate in this program. And uh, so we have breast pumps, we have a special area, that we have the right refrigerators, we have counseling and education, and the, the, the breast milk is frozen and then delivered to uh, or it's picked up by people that the uh, patient identifies. And, uh, okay, because so, obviously the, the children are taken away from, they're not staying uh, with them in prison. So. We don't keep them here, yeah, you know, yeah. unfortunately. So that's a, that we're, yeah, that's a, a, a very good, neat new program. Some big state systems have actually, they allow the children to stay with the parents, but we, because mm -hmm. our length of stay, we don't do that. But the lactation program from a health standpoint is a great contribution. And what's the participation rate to, as the, uh, we people like it. Well, it's it's new. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. I think the first person was actually started last month, so we don't have a lot of history. We only had 26 people deliver here last year, or oh, people okay. who were here delivered at hospitals. Uh, <laughs> you don't for, deliver here. Well, we had a lady that was 24. She came in. She was nine months pre uh, pregnant. I mean, everybody gets te tested, but obviously she was obviously pregnant, <laughs> and uh, she. She knew she was going to be bailed out. This was a Thursday. And uh, so she didn't tell she was in labor. And, you know, Yikes. when a, you never know when the judge's order is going to arrive and we're going to get through the paperwork. So she delivered in the lobby of the of Riverside Correctional Facility. <laughs> um, luckily, our full-time OBGYN was here. And, uh, and I get the most lovely thank you letter from her um, and picture of her child, her baby, <laughs> which is wonderful. She, she was here for parking tickets. Oh my gosh. That's what her that's what she was here for. Hmm. Hard to imagine, but it's and, must have been a lot of parking <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean if if she you know, given another day, she, she would have delivered and her baby would have taken been taken away from her for yeah. parking tickets. Yeah. I mean, so there's there's a few problems in this system that yet are yet to be cured. So what what do you face? I mean, I've worked in hospitals most of my life. So I know how they run, but how does it run here? Like, what's the biggest difference when you started working here? What? Well, 10 years ago, uh, we had lots of problems in terms of quality of care. So we had certain standards, like if a person comes in and they say they're asthmatic, that's a common complaint in this okay. population because 85% uh, of the patients here are African-American or Hispanic. Um, if they say they're asthmatic, but they're asymptomatic, they're scheduled to be seen the next day. Well, we were only seeing 35% of the people the next day. Now it's 95%. And, and it, virtually everybody gets seen within one day after that if they don't, if they don't make the, the, the one-day rule. So timeliness of care was a big issue initially. And th that was because there were a lot of rules here uh, that didn't make any sense. A person can put in what they call a sick call chip. It's a little piece of paper that says, I want to see provider. Okay. Uh, they can do that anytime, seven days a week. And uh, those those are reviewed. Um, those are, um, they used to, we have to see every one of those people the next day with a nurse practitioner, even though 35% of the requests were not for medical care. So if the yeah. phones weren't working, you get a whole bunch of requests to go see the nurse because they would want to get the nurse to let them make a phone call. <laughs> so, uh, or I need to see my social worker. Or I want to see my attorney, and so we get we get all that stuff done with now without having them see my nurse practitioner. So that's how we without increasing cost of improving quality.
service. Uh, volume is a used to be a big problem. We had 9,956 inmates here on average three years ago, and that and about 750 admissions a day. We're about 375 today. So when we have when we have that kind of volume, it's really hard to keep up because you don't have an expansion of staff that goes along with that, that size population. And these buildings were hand, built for 6,200 people, yeah. not 90 someone. Wow. So, uh, so mostly what you know the day-to-day the -day stuff it, it works very well. We all of our facilities are accredited by the National Commission for Correctional Healthcare, which is like the Joint Commission for Hospitals. Okay. And um, and we, we provide good care. What we're trying to do now is to make sure that there's continuity of care on release. And so we've just begun, for example, enrolling people in medical assistance now that Governor Wolf has expanded Medicaid. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So one of the big problems, right, is they get out of prison, they have no insurance. Is that no problem? insurance and no money? Okay. So you give a person five days of medication and two prescriptions, which they can't fill because they don't have health insurance. Okay. So now with, with the Affordable Care Act continues, um, uh, we, all of the young men who didn't qualify for medical assistance now do, and uh, and the state, beginning on May 20th, will will begin suspending coverage instead of terminating it. So it used to be, if you came in, you lost your benefits, all benefits, all 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 benefits, federal benefits and state benefits, just because even though only 20% of the people here have been sentenced, 80% are waiting to go to court. So regardless of your sentencing status, you end up being penalized, and that's being resolved uh, this coming month. So we're enrolling people in MA, so they have the ability to fill their prescriptions. And we're making appointments for the chronically ill patients uh, in the federally qualified health centers in the city. So uh, we're just starting to do that. And it'll be interesting to see how successful we are in getting people to show up for those visits. Uh, our, our initial percentage is about 35%, which mm. is not great, but it's 35% higher than it was before. It's higher than I was thinking it yeah. would be. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you think 30% of the people here are homeless, for example, yeah. and if you look at the substance abuse interaction with I mean, we don't test everybody for substance abuse when they come through the front door, but we did a blind study a year ago, two years ago, and 76% uh, of the people were abusing some medication or medications, 21% benzodiazepines, 20% amphetamines, 56% marijuana, 14% opiates, 6% PCP, a whole bunch of smaller percentages, serious drug addiction problems. Yeah. And, you know, compliance with a population that's addicted is an immense challenge. So we do do a lot of detoxification of people because they, you know, to let people go through withdrawal without any support is it's life-threatening in many cases, but it's also horrendous misery. Mm. So today when I was downstairs, for example, there was a young man who was nauseated, throwing up, because uh, he, he had started withdrawal before he got here. I, I don't know how long he was at police headquarters or how long before that when he had his last hit. I assume this was heroin, but I, I don't know. But the nurses medicated him right there to mm. try to mitigate the discomfort of the withdrawal, which is a really unpleasant process. Um, so we can we do about eight thousand of those detoxifications a year. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a five-day process. Every patient gets seen three times a day because you can really suffer and you can die, especially from benzodiazepines. Um, so, well, it's interesting. What I keep kind of coming back to is, I mean, well, two things. There is a whole business aspect to this, yeah. and your background—it's interesting. You you streamline things and all these things, um, but you know, again, going back to the thing of people saying, "Well, who cares?" Well, there's a lot of people who really care. Yeah. yeah. Well, but it's not the—I mean—the general public. And the constitutional aside, 
um, there's a lot of benefits to the public instead of releasing these people with the, right. the, the no health insurance, the no. Right. So people should understand that what you're doing yeah, we, well, is think, a positive for society. Right. An HIV patient that leaves that's medication compliant, not only do they have a life expectancy that age of justice is the same as yours or mine, but they also can't affect anyone. Yeah, and if a person's treated for gonorrhea, I mean, our syphilis right here is 2.4 percent. You know, it's way up as compared to a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Those people can't affect people when they leave. So mm -hmm. yeah, um, and people that get care in the community are much less likely to be rearrested. There's there's a lot of people here that shouldn't be here. Yeah, you know, they they would be in state hospitals or getting care in the community if we had a, a more robust psychiatric system. Well, that sort of goes back to the whole thing. Yeah, you know, we eliminated all those hospitals, and now the prison yeah. is that hospital. Correct. Essentially. Um, yeah, I was looking, I guess this is from that old article, but the uh, percentage of people being tested for HIV was, it was now over 95% and was 6% when I got here. Because in Pennsylvania, it's voluntary testing. But we use the uh, CDC uh, Center for Disease Control process, which is an opt-out process. So we put signs up all over the place in English and Spanish saying, this is what we test for. Let us know if you don't want to be tested. Yeah. And we test. And uh, so that's how we got to be treating 1,000 people. A year. Hmm. So over 10 years, 11 years you've been here? 10 years? 10 years. 10 years. There have to be tons of stories. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. what sticks with you? Well, I mean, you know, I mentioned the one earlier about the attorney who's 42-year-old schizophrenic son. You know, what he called up and said, what can, what can you do to help my son not sleep in cars at night? And um, you can't force him. To do that, I, and I, I think there is something that could be done if we, if, if we as, an, as, a, as a city, had uh, an employment place here, you know, so, sort of was done for the developmentally disabled people, a place that was safe, where a person could be doing their like he's a cook, let him do some cooking, and then mm -hmm. have a place where he could stay, where he would be safe. He might not be sleeping in cars, but you know, the system's not set up to do that. So, uh, I agree with the, this father that that would be the, the right way to yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, so you have lots of lots of instances like that. Um, uh, we get a lot of calls from uh, the public defenders. There's 200 and some public defenders in Philadelphia saying, "My client is going to be released to XYZ treatment program. Can you please make sure that they get their medications going out the door?" Or we give the patient the medication, then the medication didn't get to the place. We'll actually have a nurse deliver the medication to the facility in the community just to you know, assure that there's a smooth handoff. Um, and that kind of thing happens every day. Um, what, what cases stick with you the most? Like, what are the ones that you still think about? Well, you know, I mentioned that suicide's a big issue. And yeah. our suicide rate is lower than uh, the national average. But every time someone dies here, you have to ask. You know, was it was it preventable? Yeah. So not too long ago, uh, a young man came. Well, he was 28. Came in. He hadn't any history of incarceration. He, he was Philadelphian, but he had a long history of drug addiction and treatment. Mm -hmm. And he came in. Uh, uh, he had a phone call with his wife, who said, "I'm not going to see you anymore. You can't see the kids." And uh, he hung himself mm -hmm. the first day he was here. No psychiatric history. So I don't, I'm not sure that we could have done anything about that, but it hurts. I mean, you you know, we do a lot of counseling with our staff, both officers and healthcare staff on Monday nights. And you've worked in, um, you know, other hospitals in Philadelphia. How does this compare? I mean, the staff 
and uh, well, the staff is really devoted. That's I mean, what it sounds like. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because you know, a lot of folks here have uh, they're unhappy with life, and and you and they're you know not easy to handle. Some of them, are, of course, are fine. Many of them are fine. Yeah. But so twenty percent of people don't come back, right? But if you come back more than once. The average is 6.5 incarcerations. If you're seriously mentally ill, it's 7.9. So it's a, you know, these people are in and out, back and forth, sorry, back and forth. And uh, it, you, it can be discouraging because it's not like somebody comes to, I was a Pennsylvania hospital, somebody comes in and they, you know, have a laminectomy and they leave three days later and they're playing tennis three months later and it's, <laughs> everything's done, right? Yeah. That's not the case here. So uh, it does take a devoted well, group of people. I have to think for some of the inmates, I mean, these, your personnel might be the only people who've cared about them That's in a true. long time. That is true. That is true. And the, the, the most uh, telling example of that, and I'm not sure this is staff, but we have a dog training program. Oh, really? Rescue dogs. Oh, so the inmates train the dogs? or Yeah. We okay. have uh, uh, this, the organization that does this um, uh, called New Leash on Life. And they bring a professional trainer in, and they train the inmates to train the dogs. Hmm. And the dogs live in the cells. Uh, you know, there's one dog with two inmates. We were doing it with Ben Anglin, and now we started with Ben. We've had 100 people graduate from this program. Virtually all of them leave with jobs. The recidivism rate's one-third. But what they will say is, this is the first time I've had unconditional love. Hmm. You know, not everybody expresses it that way. But, hmm. And it's the first time they've had responsibility where they've met their responsibility. For another being, uh, so, and I think if, if we're if our healthcare staff and security staff treat people respectfully, it, it may very very well be one of the first times that's that's occurred. Yeah, and it, it seems like you have the dual mission: not only to take care of them here, but to turn them once they leave here, right, to return them to society healthy or healthier, and with some sense of other than good luck. Right, I mean that's and that's I mean. really the problem, right? It's not caring for them here. It's it, the problem. Kind of easy to care for them here. It's when they leave. Right. What do you? What yeah. happens? So if we, if we can really get most people medical insurance, medical assistance insurance, and if we can get them appointments, and I think on the mental health side, we're going to have to deliver people, physically yeah. deliver them. Some people because they're not competent, you know, um, even sometimes when medicated. So if we can do that on the medical side, we will be in good shape. We will have done something that no other correctional facility has done routinely, with the exception of one in, in Hamden, Massachusetts, where it's a 600-bed jail, I think it's a jail, where the federally qualified health center provides all the medical services inside the building. So the people see the same providers inside and out. They have an 80% show rate for first visits after, which for any primary care doc, that would be a thrill, you know, mm -hmm. 80%. So, but if we can get move in that direction, then, then the issue we have is really with employment. And if we have to get a way to get people to finish their GEDs here. Yeah. If they don't, there's just, there's just nothing you can do. No, yeah. We don't have manual labor for people any longer. No. And, you know, you see that the official figures for poverty are 21%, Philadelphia 26%, but there's 550,000 people on Medicaid out of 1.4 million. Yeah. That's not 21%. <laughs> you know. So it's a huge challenge. Uh, but I think, you know, we're moving in the right direction. We have a new automated training program for GED. We, we have a licensed school here for juveniles that are here. Mm -hmm. We have juveniles that are, they come in charged with murder, rape, remains law violations, arson, serious charges. 
and those people go to a city public school that's over um, at Pitt, the, the, one of our facilities. Well, we also do GED for other adults, but we're not getting many people to get finished their their degrees, even the ones that are sentenced that stay here for up to two years. Yeah. So that's the next step on the non-medical side. What do your friends and loved ones think about your job? They think I'm the, it's amazing that I can withstand the bureaucracy <laughs> <laughs> because the bureaucracy is a real challenge. I bet. Yeah. Partially, it's a quasi-military organization, but I spent six years in the Coast Guard. I have some sense of <laughs> you're used to that. I knew I knew what I was going to get into in that regard. But the but the bureaucracy is tough. You know, the siloing of services in Philadelphia. I mean, you take the community behavioral health; they have a billion dollar budget. But I I don't know very much about what they do or how long it takes to get seen that system or you know how long does it take for a second visit. You know, there's even though we share patients clearly. Um, we're not there yet in terms of exchanging information. So there's lots of lots of opportunity for more improvement. You're going to keep with it? Because I think one of the articles said something you expected to be here a year. Yeah, I did. I thought I would be done. But you're still coming back. Every yeah, day. yeah. I love what, what, why you say you love it? Yeah, what is it? Well, there's a couple things. One is that the population really needs help. Yeah. Two, there's always an opportunity to make big improvements. Um, this whole thing about MA, for example, is it, we, we think a huge step forward for this population, mm -hmm. medical assistance at the moment. Um, I run the show, which I like. <laughs> um, you know, the commissioner tells me I don't run the show, and she's right periodically, but um, only periodically. Yeah, yeah. For the most part, like, um, and the staff here is delightful because they are people that really care about the patients. I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Off the Charts, stories from people who make medicine work. We release new episodes every other week through iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also stream episodes through our website, which is offthechartspodcast.com. If you enjoy our work and you want to help other people find the podcast, please rate or review us in your favorite podcast app. And you can get in touch with us by emailing offthechartspodcast at gmail.com or sending us a message on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Thank you.